0: Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Red Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about a selection of short stories by Roald Dahl. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy!
1: this deep, curling river of black that ran clear across the width of the carpet, and he was forced by his position to cross it at its widest part. He thought first of trying to jump it, but decided he couldn't be sure of landing accurately on the narrow band of yellow on the other side. He took a deep breath, lifted one foot, and inch by inch he pushed it out in front of him far, far out, then down and down until at last the tip of his sandal was across and resting safely on the edge of the yellow. He leaned forward, transferring his weight to his front foot. Then he tried to bring the back foot up as well. He strained and pulled and jerked his body, but the legs were too wide apart and he couldn't make it. He tried to get back again. He couldn't do that either. He was doing the splits and he was properly stuck. He glanced down and saw this deep, curling river of black underneath him. Parts of it were stirring now and uncoiling and beginning to shine with a dreadfully oily glister. He wobbled, waved his arms frantically to keep his balance, but that seemed to make it worse. He was starting to go over. He was going over to the right quite slowly, he was going over, then faster and faster. And at the last moment, instinctively, he put out a hand to break the fall. And the next thing he saw was this bare hand of his going right into the middle of a great glistening mass of black. And he gave one piercing cry as it touched. Outside in the sunshine, far away behind the house, the mother was looking for her son. Hello, Ren.
0: Hi, Adam. Thank you for your excellent reading of the ending of The Wish by Roald Dahl. And
1: today we are looking at a little menagerie of Roald Dahl stories focusing on his collection, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar and Six More, uh, which doesn't include The Wish. um, But it's one of his short stories that features a child protagonist, and the wonderful story of Henry Sugar collection uh, was aimed at slightly older readers than his children's fiction, so mine belongs to the Puffin Teenage Fiction imprint. Uh, Do you have the same edition? I've got Henry Sugar um, looking very toothsome and uh, nose-pronounced, leaning out uh, from his balcony, um, throwing, throwing... throwing money to assembled people below.
0: No, um, I had oh. a diff I had a different one although I have currently misla- mislaid it. <laughs> um, uh, chaotically. Don't know where. Don't know where my copy has gone. Um, C-
1: can you remember what's on the cover?
0: I mean, it's sort of a collection of objects. Um um it's and uh, it had some I mean, dice. that
1: sounds like what you've lost it among.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm looking on Google to see if I can uh, see the copy though. I mean, I,
1: I mean, if there were objects from the book, there might there might be a turtle, maybe or a
0: uh, I think it was like uh like cards and dice. And okay,
1: then, so that might relate possibly yeah, to the hitchhiker, he- or, no, or, or no, that he- relates to the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's card playing and that.
0: gambling-related paraphernalia. I think, yeah.
1: Uh, there's a story called A Piece of Cake, which doesn't actually feature uh, Bruce Bogtrotter's famous <laughs> chocolate cake.
0: Hmm. Um. And
1: there's also The Hitchhiker, um, which doesn't have many many objects in. It's got a it's got a kind of classic car.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So my my copy had has a a classic car on the cover.
1: Okay. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: two two dice and an ace of spades.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Yep. And some kind of the background is like uh, some writing in a letter. So,
1: yeah. Oh, and if, if listeners, you listeners, if if you're sorry, I'm not going to point at you, point <laughs> at your ears, but uh, if you're listening, expecting a discussion of where's Anderson's. Uh, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, that's yet to be released, but don't go away, because near the end of the episode, we will make predictions, um, probably very canny and accurate predictions, I would assume, um, about Wes Anderson's upcoming Netflix adaptation of this book, well, of the title story, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, and three of the other stories within, and actually there's seven stories in this collection, so... We'll have a guess later which of the story is Wes Anderson is going to be adapting because some of these stories are much more horrible than others, and this is a children's horror mm. podcast, so we're going to be focusing on the more macabre side yeah. of Roald Dahl's writing.
0: Um, and this this was a listener suggestion. Uh, it was Dave again. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> um, and um, he specifically mentioned in his email uh, the story, the Swan. Um, as being the one that uh, struck him as the most horrible Um, (laughs) and uh, I think that's the one we picked out too Uh, as a story described by one Goodreads reviewer as a piece of sadistic filth
1: which is not wholly characteristic mostly this is quite a whimsical collection I would say they're kind of flights of fancy with elements of grotesquerie which Mm. is how I normally think of Roald Dahl's writing for children like mm-hmm. If I think of James and the Giant Peach, um, you know, or even the witches, we've discussed the witches on the podcast before, um, and the witches is all sorts of frightening bits. I couldn't even cope with having the copy of the book in my bedroom as a kid. I had to have it moved out of the room to sleep. Um, but actually on rereading it, there's quite a lot of m- mouse antics basically. Yeah. And yeah. you know, once the kids get turned into mice, they have a pretty jolly time of it. They get to do a little <laughs> mouse tightrope, um, yeah, there's horrible stuff in there, but there's a lot of whimsy. Um, the Swan, however, <laughs> uh, is is not a very whimsical tale. I think it's fair to say. Um, did you want to do a kind of basic?
0: Yeah, plot? Uh, well, I've kind of, I've got a fairly extended plot recap of it, but we can, uh, you can interject as I go along. Um, okay. But it, it starts with a boy called Ernie who uh, gets given a. Twenty-two caliber rifle for his birthday, and told by his father to bring back a rabbit for supper. Um, Ernie is a, a big lout of a boy, as uh, Dahl says, and a, a real wrongan, and um, uh, has a, a father who's a truck driver. So, what do you expect? Is the kind of implication that uh, Dahl. Uh, is putting across, but yeah,
1: um, he's definitely characterized as like a working class oink.
0: Yeah, <laughs> oink. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he meets up with his equally loutish friend Raymond uh, for an afternoon of shooting innocent creatures. But um, after they've shot various birds, they come across Peter Watson. Who's, uh, and the
1: bird shooting did remind me of uh, the Magic Finger, which is a kind yeah. of lesser known role, Um
0: Yeah, another which- that unsettling one that.
1: Yeah, not quite horror, but definitely unsettling. In which mm. um, a family who like to hunt, are kind of transformed into wildfowl, possibly ducks.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and again, a shot at. Um, and I think reading this story, you expect that there might be some kind of turning the tables or, or justice mm. coming down the road for these, these two uh, young bully boys. But we'll we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, Peter Wilson is a, a small, bespectacle, bespectacled, sensitive boy who, uh, it said, his father did not drive a truck or work in a factory. He worked at the bank. Um, so it's uh, not a particularly subtle story. But um, Ernie and Raymond uh, torment Peter um, to the extent of tying him up on the railway tracks in the path of an oncoming train. Um, and this
1: is a lot less whimsical than it was in those old silent films <laughs> yeah. uh, that that's that back then it was a lark but um, in this story it seems quite quite unpleasant and um, there's it really ratchets up the tension actually this this is quite a slow section of the story mm. and um, what I liked here is there's a lot of kind of in, internal narration mm-hmm um, Describing how is it Peter? Did you say? Yeah. Or yeah. Peter. De- describing how Peter Watson feels as he's tied to the tracks, and he realises quite quickly that Raymond and Ernie aren't jer- joking around; they're quite willing to see him run over and killed by a train.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and can I can I read the section where he's?
0: Oh yeah, please.
1: Yeah. So it describes him for this sort of agonising few paragraphs, just laying there trying to distract himself, watching the clouds, waiting and waiting for this train to come. And then, quite suddenly, he heard a curious little vibrating sound coming from the rails on either side of him. It was very soft, this sound, scarcely audible. A tiny little humming, thrumming, whisper that seemed to be coming along the rails from far away. That's a train, he told himself. The vibrating along the rails grew louder, then louder still. He raised his head and looked down the long and absolutely straight railway line that stretched away for a mile or more into the distance. It was then that he saw the train. At first it was only a speck, a faraway black dot. But in those few seconds, he kept his head raised. The dot grew bigger and bigger and it began to take shape and soon it was no longer a dot but the big square blunt front end of a diesel express. Peter dropped his head and pressed it down hard into the small hole he dug for it in the gravel. He swung his feet over to one side. He shut his eyes tight and tried to sink his body into the ground. The train Came over him like an explosion. It was as though a gun had gone off in his head, and with the explosion came a tearing, screaming wind that was like a hurricane blowing down his nostrils and into his lungs. The noise was shattering. The wind choked him. He felt as if he were being eaten alive and swallowed up in the belly of a screaming, murderous monster.
0: Whew. Yeah Um
1: <laughs> It's a pretty Merciless description He it, mm. it doesn't pull his punches here
0: Yeah P- Peter manages to survive being run over By a train um, And uh, And that's not enough For, for Raymond and Ernie, who...
1: or, or Or for, Roald Dahl. Roald or, like, or right. for Rodolf
0: Or for No <laughs> Um Right, right, more torment of this poor boy um, um, and it's kind of only after we, we've got that that we get to the swan of the title um, which Ernie sees and shoots and then forces Peter to retrieve the corpse um, from the pond and um, this is kind of finally what makes Peter snap because he's been sort of very very collected and kind of trying to wait it out and hope that they'll get bored of tormenting him but um, he shouts at them and says, uh, calls them a couple of ignorant idiots and says it's you who ought to be dead instead of the swan, you're not fit to be alive Um, and that really works Ernie up and he says, so you like swans Um, and he proceeds to cut off the wings of the dead swan and tie them onto Peter's arms and then he makes Peter climb to the top of a tall weeping willow, and uh, tells him that he's going to he, he's going to fly from the top, and Peter thinks that he can finally escape them at the top of the tree, uh, but of course he can't, and only starts shooting at him with a rifle. So Peter jumps, and this is the end of the story. Three different people reported seeing a great white swan circling over the village that morning. A schoolteacher called Emily Mead, a man who was replacing some tiles on the roof of the chemist shop, whose name was William Isles, and a boy called John Underwood, who was flying his model airplane in a nearby field. And that morning, Mrs. Watson, who was washing some dishes in her kitchen sink, happened to glance up through the window at the exact moment when something huge and white came flopping down onto the lawn in her back garden. She rushed outside and sank down on her knees beside the small crumpled figure of her son. Oh, my darling, she cried, near to hysterics and hardly believing what she saw. My darling boy, what happened to you? My leg hurts, Peter said, opening his eyes. Then he fainted. He's bleeding, she cried, and she picked him up and carried him inside. Quickly she phoned for the doctor and the ambulance, and while she was waiting for help to come, she fetched a pair of scissors and began cutting the string that held the two great wings of the swan to her son's arms.
1: Do will sometimes do this, take a story that's been rooted in a kind of heightened mundanity, like this sort of everyday nastiness, um, which probably goes further than you expect but it still feels like reality, and then right at the end, like with the child sort of falling into the carpet and then possibly disappearing... Mm-hmm like I wouldn't call it a twist exactly because it's like the story has followed the logical course of events but then there's a point where the logic runs out or is pushed further than logic into some kind of weird dream or nightmare like Yeah. Unreality?
0: I preferred that I I preferred that I thought it worked better in The Wish than in this one, I think.
1: Why? Why do you think?
0: Because I, I thought that in The Wish, it was kind of sort of thematically kind of coherent with, like, the idea of being a kid and, like, making up a game and then kind of the the fact that when you're, re- when you're really little and you don't really... The boundaries of what is reality and what's unreality are are less clear. And yeah. if you kind of make up a game, and then you don't, then you start to believe in it, and you don't know, yeah, like, what yeah, you've made I up mean, and what what is what. You start to believe that it might be true, and, kind of thing.
1: And in a sense, it is true, at least for the child. Like Melanie, I've mentioned yeah. this before. But Melanie Klein, like the Freudian um, psychiatrist, like child psychiatrist, wrote about this really well. This idea of fantasy with a P is what she calls. Mm-hmm that kind of blurring of fantasy and reality for the the small child. Um, It makes me think of playing, like in the carpet, is basically playing The Floor is Lava, Mm. and how in a sense, the floor does become lava for the child. And and it is rooted in the reality of the room. It's like, it's not just taking place in the child's head because there's stuff in the room like the carpet the carpet's real right yeah and it, it kind of becomes transfigured um so did you feel like with the swan that was too sudden a departure then
0: it might just be like i don't know I, I'm, a, I'm quite torn on it actually i think it might just be that it was it's a very kind of short ending coda yeah. where, it, where it it goes into unreality um I, I like the idea of um, of Peter having been pushed so far that his only escape is through this kind of transformation, right? Yeah. Um, I I'm not, but I'm not sure the structure of it quite works. Yeah,
1: because it's it's like I know what you mean, because it feels like it's some kind of psychic or psychotic break, right? But then. Mm. It seems to actually be happening in reality, and people are seeing it. It's not really told from Peter's point of view. Um, But then it kind of feels like a sort of intervention, right? Like grace, which is weird for Roald and I kind of liked that, because normally Roald doesn't reach in to save his characters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... You kind of wonder, like... Yeah... I don't know maybe it was yeah <laughs> one of the only ways out of this story i don't like um
1: yeah i mean and it is in a, a teenage you know it's it's such a bleak story you do think could he have you, know, <laughs> you, you can't really it, it gets so dark and then that you kind of need that i guess
0: yeah <laughs> um yeah i don't know if we've managed to to convey just how nasty this story is to read. <laughs> like... Yeah,
1: no, it's really hard unless you. Read. One, it's it's the pacing because it spends a long mm. time with this horrible ordeal, and yeah, and that's the sense you have in this story. You mm. just want it to stop, you know? You're like, oh God, just stop being so awful to this poor kid. Um, yeah, and I think this story kind of challenges something. I read this article, which I know you read and didn't wholly agree with, and I found it really interesting. It's an article by Joyce Carol Oates that we can link to in in the show notes. And uh, she says of the stories, uh, particularly the later stories, that, quote, intimacy is rejected for distance, sympathy for an Olympian detachment, as if the writer were determined not to succumb to the dangers of oversensitivity, like his victim characters but to identify with their punitive and sadistic tormentors. As Dahl's books for children are often fuelled by fantasies of tricks, pranks and revenge in various guises, so what really matters in his mature works is punishment. And she relates this to Dahl having been beaten and caned repeatedly at boarding school. Mm. And I guess a kind of protective mechanism where he has to harden himself as a writer to not feel too deeply the suffering that a lot of his characters go through. I don't think that's quite right. Mm. Because I feel like, I feel like there is a sympathy here. Um, It's just the bullies and tormentors in Darl's work are so big, like they're so, and often physically big, right? Which obviously we can talk about is a sort of issue in his work and has been you know much discussed and picked up on recently with these mm. sort of boulderalized or uh, revised version of Dole's books that have been put out um, but often with Roldo, um moral uh, deficits are given a kind of physical form right so yeah. you know monstrous characters generally look monstrous and are often very big or overweight like that's that's definitely a common thing in Roldo. Um mm. And, like, the bullies tend to be really imposing and forceful, and it's like they kind of overshadow everything else. So when I think of Matilda, particularly the book rather than the, the film, I do think of Miss Trunchbull first and foremost. Mm. She, like, towers over that book for me. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I think that is sympathetic because it's sort of identifying with the experience of being a child and that presumably Roald Dahl felt being caned as a small boy of just how Mm. massive, like a headmaster with a cane is. And I was trying to think about the horror in Roald Dahl's stories and his stories for children. I think maybe what it is, is that in some of his stories, okay, so you know, we've talked about in a lot of children's horror, say um, going right back to the demon headmaster um, often, Adult figures are um, unreliable and ineffective, basically. Mm-hmm. So, demon headmaster, you've got the demon headmaster himself. You know, he's like this sort of cruel, Roldo-like, um, monstrous figure. Um, but then also, you've got the parents. The parents are well-meaning, but they're just kind of useless.
0: Mm.
1: But then you also have this sort of tradition of like the orphan. Yeah. And the orphan then finds a new community. Um, So, you know, in Harry Potter, for instance, yes, he doesn't have the parents, but he he finds this new wizarding family. I think Mm. in Roald Dahl, you often also have that. So, you know, James of the Giant Peach, James is orphaned right at the start. Obviously, uh, Charlie Bucket has his grandparents, um, but, you know, the the granddad's bed bound at the start. Um, But I think what's... What's so odd is that often, like these kids, really do have to go it alone, and sometimes their kind of new families are just kind of really weird or creepy, <laughs> right? Like mm. if Willy Wonka's a new father figure.
0: Yeah, the the, the famous ambivalence of Willy Wonka. Yeah, 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 yeah
1: exactly. Like, like you've got a guy who's possibly killing kids, like, or at the very yeah. <laughs> least, certainly doesn't seem to worry too much about their health and safety.
0: You yeah. know, in
1: in James the Giant Peach, he makes friends with a bunch of insects <laughs> that are quite strange to be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I think one of the thing that's so disturbing about the swan is that it has the like the characters Ernie and Raymond have this kind of it's like exaggerated, cartoonish malevolence of the kind of villains in his children's books, but like the stakes are like much higher. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's like they they kind of journeyed from the kind of heightened world of the children's books into like the real world. Yeah, and no, they're kind of
1: like like. Flesh Lump Eater and Blood Bottler, two of the giants from the BFB, yeah. transfigured yeah, yeah. into horrible teenage boys. Mm.
0: Um.
1: But that is how being bullied feels as a kid. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah.
1: I think one of the things that's hardest for anyone who's bullied is, you know, I'm sure lots of people, I'm not alone in finding this, I've talked to others about it, but when I first got like Facebook, You know at university and then finding like kids who bullied me at school trying to add me on facebook and i said what Mm. to me this was so strange (laughs) because like you you were horrible you you really ruined a lot of my childhood Mm. and it took me quite a while to kind of realize that for them you know it was malarkey which doesn't say it wasn't serious but For the bullies, often they did this because they were bored or, you know, they were maybe unhappy at home and they were just sort of doing this thing. And then a lot of the time they've forgotten about it. Yeah. Whereas when you're the victim, you know, it it, it can feel so massive. And there's this horrible kind of disconnect between, I think, what can feel like very kind of casual, potentially, for the bullies and what can feel really earth shattering for the victim. And I think I think the story kind of gets that—that that it's like <sighs> Raymond and Arnie are almost going through the motions. Like, oh yeah, what do we do next? Okay, oh, yeah, we'll time mm. to the train track. Oh, let's see if he gets killed. It, yeah, there's a kind of horrible casualness about it. Yeah, yeah. They have such <laughs> such kind of little moral sense the idea that what they're doing is appalling doesn't even really occur to them. They just do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's really scary, because how can you reason <laughs> with that? <laughs> and, and I think what's really disturbing is that Peter has a really canny understanding of that. He realises, he's like, there's nothing I can say. Yeah. He knows that these two boys cannot be reasoned with, so he could have resigns himself for a lot of it.
0: Yeah, they just have to wait it out until they get bored yeah um, and, but,
1: and that's how, that must be how Roald Dahl felt regularly being caned and having a horrible time at boarding school
0: yeah did you did you ever read um, his his autobiographies I've the, read
1: some of boy yeah when he, talk, yeah. he talks about that doesn't he
0: yeah um, I, I really I, I was really keen on those like both boy and going solo as a kid I read I read quite a lot um, I found them really interesting.
1: Yeah, my, my stepson, George, they're probably his two favourite Roald Dahls.
0: Mm. Um, um. I'm not, yeah. I'm not quite sure what I was. I mean, I, I, obviously he was describing things like that were completely outside of my realm of experience. Like, yeah,
1: we've mentioned before, thankfully neither of us went to boarding school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and then, like, Know him crashing his plane in the desert, and you yeah, know, yeah, but
1: um, but yeah, um, I mean, there um, are some great recordings actually, um, of Roald Dahl on YouTube, and I feel all right kind of recommending those because, um, you know, he's dead and he's a bit of a jerk, frankly, so uh, <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, a lot of a jerk, and yeah, a lot. Nice. Let's be honest,
1: a lot of a jerk. Um, he was very
0: anti-Semitic. And, yeah, uh,
1: so I yeah. think um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about about <laughs> listening to these on YouTube. Uh, so there's a guy called uh, Lewis Kirk, who seems to have recorded basically every single Roald Dahl story ever.
0: Oh wow! Okay. And
1: they're all on YouTube, um, and he's got a nice voice. So if you're interested, I would recommend his audiobook version. It's good.
0: Hmm. Um, yeah, okay. I think... <laughs> Shall we move on to uh, anything else from, from the collection, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar? Yeah, well, we'll mention
1: okay. we'll mention the other kind of stories briefly before we get on to the title piece. Okay. So there's The Boy Who Talked of Animals. Did you read that one?
0: I did read that one, yeah. Uh,
1: what um, do you think of it?
0: Um... It was... Uh, it was uh, it's nice right. story. It's all right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's basically about a, a boy who who rescues a a turtle um, from uh, a West Indian island, and I think the um, the kind of people in the West Indies are are described in pretty unflattering, quite stereotyped tones. Um,
0: oh the yeah, it was like...
1: also I guess quite ugly characters. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: It's the first story of the collection and I was just like a bit like, "Oh, here we go." I yeah,
1: think. I felt a bit like that too. Um yeah. I, I mean, know. the kid kind of rescues the turtle and then goes off with the turtle. Um I didn't feel like there was much to it. Like I was expecting some kind of a twist that doesn't mm. really come.
0: Mhm. Um
1: there's there's a stronger story called The Mildenhall Treasure.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't read much of this collection, <laughs> which is, is poor form of me for the podcast. Um, I actually, I got to the bit where, um, I'll chalk, chalk it down to a, like, uh, a, a, an envy injury, because I got to the bit where Rodar was saying about how when he was a young man, he um used to, like, publish two short stories a year and live off the proceeds and um i had to go and lie down for several weeks and i couldn't finish the book yeah
1: those days are long long past (laughs) 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 sorry
0: Mm. Um. yeah
1: but this one's based on a, a real event and he claims to have interviewed uh, the man who found the Mildenhall treasure which seems quite possible it reads journalistically enough with some embellishments um, and I quite like it set in, in uh, Suffolk where I'm from and yeah. so the kind of flat grey Suffolk landscape is quite nicely described and um, I think it's a nice one for any fans of the Detectives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which uh, if you're an American listener you probably won't know but it's a, a really really lovely uh, British series set in Suffolk about some metal detectorists basically uh, trying to find Anglo-Saxon treasure and um, makes lots of good use of the Suffolk landscape and has Toby Jones and Mackenzie Crook in it.
0: We, we didn't watch that together. No, it was later than that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um,
1: um, I only oh, watched I must- it. I only watched it a couple of years ago, actually. Okay. Yeah. I must've watched it with Ava, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's charming. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have uh the hitchhiker which um is one i remember from watching um tales of the unexpected which was this sort of tv anthology series so in the style of like black mirror um which were generally adaptations of roald dahl stories often introduced mm-hmm. by roald dahl himself at the start um and the hitchhiker is about this uh foxy man uh who's picked up as a hitchhiker and uh turns out to be a fingersmith which Mm. is a fancy way of saying a pickpocket
0: oh yeah i did read that one
1: yeah and the pickpocketing uh, helps get him and the protagonist out of some trouble
0: yes he has incredibly fast fingers Um.
1: yeah it's quite a light fairly charming story there's not much to it Hmm. Um. There's Lucky Break, which is a sort of autobiographical account of how Rodol became a writer, um which is definitely interesting if you've if you've read Rodo. And then that's followed in the collection lastly by A Piece of Cake, which is his first published his first published book, his first story he says, um which is about him being shot down as a pilot. Mm. And actually goes into this, this strange dreamlike reverie um, after he's been shot down, um, which is genuinely quite hallucinatory, mm. um, and yeah, quite quite unlike you know, it's very different. I can see why Joyce Carol Oates talks about how his style becomes more detached because this feels very sensory and embedded in the experience of this pilot, um, mm. it, autobiographical, I think. Um yeah it's yeah. it's mostly a descriptive piece there's not much of a story to it um but it's a pretty remarkable piece of description actually hmm. yeah it's 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 worth reading quite quite different from what he writes later um oh and and one nice thing and you get to see his his handwriting in the um piece of cake he he sort of writes about how his children book ideas come about and he, he says he's got this much worn red covered volume in which he jots down ideas often you know waking up in the night or um, by the side of his bed and um, yeah it, mm. it is remarkable how simple the ideas behind his stories are yeah he says um, he he wrote down what about a chocolate factory that makes fantastic and marvelous things with a crazy man man running it this became Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and like, there's another another one. Um, Henry Henry Sugar, which we'll go on to now. A man acquires the ability to see through playing cards. He makes millions at casinos. That's it. This became yeah. Henry Sugar.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, they're quite quite simple ideas at their heart.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: um, but, Henry, you know, he extends this with Henry Sugar, because novella length, it's easily the longest story in the collection. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty long. Um, yeah, and it's it's him specifically not writing um, a horror story or uh, or a, a, gr- a grisly story, because he'd been accused of writing too many horrible stories, apparently, which is, is a fair accusation. Um, <laughs> but, um it's a. Uh, it's about uh, an, an idle, rich son of a wealthy father who's uh living out his days in gambling and games and he comes across a pamphlet called a report on an interview with Imrat Khan a man who can see without eyes and this pamphlet goes on to detail how Imrat Khan gained advanced yogi powers uh, that enabled him to see without using his eyes um And uh, Henry is blown away by this and the implications for his gambling, and devotes himself uh, for years to learning these techniques. Um, And and yeah, and then the kind of interesting thing is that sort of the story seems as if he's going to have a come up and sort of grisly ending, and and it doesn't. But Dal can't actually resist (laughs) sort of putting the grisly ending in the story and presenting it to the readers as. um, He says, uh, what would happen and, and if... An
1: alternative ending. It's like, yeah. if I was going to write a horrible ending, this <laughs> is what it would be like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's worth reading, because it's quite... It's oh, please, quite yeah, hard.
1: please do. And actually, when I mentioned this collection, Trantonia, that we were doing it, she said, oh, mm. I said, it's not It's not really horror, though. And she said, well, there is a bit of body horror in it, I remember, and I'm pretty sure it must be uh, this bit that she was referring to.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Now, had this been a made-up story instead of a true one, it would have been necessary to invent some kind of a surprising and exciting end for it. It would not be difficult to do that, something dramatic and unusual. So before telling you what really did happen to Henry in real life, let's pause here for a moment to see what a competent fiction writer would have done to wrap the story up. His notes would read something like this. One, Henry must die. Like Imrat Khan before him, he had violated the code of the yogi and had used his powers for personal gain. Two, it'll be best if he dies in some unusual and interesting manner that will surprise the reader. Three, for example, he could go home to his flat and start counting his money and gloating over it. While doing this, he might suddenly begin to feel unwell. He has a pain in his chest. Four, he becomes frightened. He decides to go to bed immediately and rest. He takes off his clothes. He walks naked to the cupboard to get his pyjamas. He passes the full-length mirror that stands against the wall. He stops. He stares at the reflection of his naked self in the mirror. Automatically, from force of habit, he begins to concentrate. And then... 5. All at once he is seeing through his own skin. He sees through it in the same way that he saw through those playing cards a while back. It's like an x-ray picture, only far better. An x-ray can see only the bones and the very dense areas. Henry can see everything. He sees his arteries and veins with the blood pumping through them. He can see his liver, his kidneys, his intestines, and he can see his heart beating. He looks at the place in his chest where the pain is coming from, and he sees, or thinks he sees, a small dark lump inside the big vein, leading into the heart on the right-hand side. What could a small dark lump be doing inside the vein? It must be a blockage of some kind. It must be a clot. A blood clot. Seven. Seven at first the clot seems to be stationary, then it moves. The movement is very slight, no more than a millimetre or two. The blood inside the vein is pumping up behind the clot and pushing past it and the clot moves again. It jerks forward about half an inch, this time up the vein towards the heart. Henry watches in terror. He knows, as almost everyone else in the world knows, that a blood clot which has broken free and is travelling in a vein will ultimately reach the heart, if the clot is a large one. It will stick in the heart and you will probably die. That wouldn't be such a bad ending for a work of fiction, but this story is not fiction. It's true. The only untrue things about it are Henry's name and the name of the gambling casino. Henry's name is not Henry Sugar. His name had to be, has to be protected. It still must be protected. And for obvious reasons, one, one cannot call the casino by its real name. Apart from that, it is a true story. And because it is a true story, it must have the true ending. The true one may not be quite so dramatic or spooky as a made-up one could be, but it is nonetheless interesting. Here is what actually happened.
1: Right, I mean, that that's definitely our claim of the week. <laughs> yeah. I should cocoa. True story indeed, and I
0: have... <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um. And what actually happens, uh, apparently, is that Henry um, became, Henry became a philanthropist, uh, uh, employed a, a Hollywood makeup artist to travel with him to, um, so that he could visit casinos in expert disguise and uh, used his winnings to build orphanages.
1: And this is the title story that Wes Anderson's um, been adapting or uh, is in the process of adapting for a short Netflix series yeah Um, and that makes perfect sense to me like if you think of the royal tenenbaums or the darjeeling limited or other wes anderson films he loves the eccentric idol rich Mm. um and yeah you can totally see why the character of henry sugar would appeal to wes anderson um
0: i feel like he he enjoys a, a story within a story as well
1: he does like these kind of nested stories absolutely um and even though I think the Darjeeling Limited is possibly his weakest film, it shows he does have some interest um, in India.
0: Yeah, isn't the Grand Budapest Hotel, um, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it
1: has, has elements. Uh, I like that one, actually. I like the model work a lot. Yeah. Like, it's very dinky.
0: Mm.
1: Um. So, so you, you can really see him enjoying... Um, enjoying this story and I guess the idea of a kind of a plan, a plan that kind of works through and then goes in a slightly different whimsical direction to what you might expect um, mm. but yeah i I was thinking well what else um so there's some confusion actually. I saw um online this week uh, there's confusion where a website ran with the headline that Wes Anderson's Netflix film The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar is just 37 minutes long um mm. and then he kind of clarified that well no actually that's the title story and I think the issue is that you've got this collection The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar which is also the name of <laughs> the story right and yeah. confused about which one he's adapting so my understanding is that That's going to be the first episode, or one of the episodes, of four, which means that there are three more adaptations from this book. Now, I don't think that Wes Anderson's going to adapt The Swan. Yeah. It's very strange to imagine The Swan, a story about (laughs) a boy, being horribly, relentlessly bullied in Wes Anderson's pastel-coloured symmetrically framed (laughs) It's a perfect style
0: I I can't picture it it's too grubby it's too nasty
1: it would be really weird if he does it (laughs) like just just very using very delicate model work to depict a swan's wings I mean
0: I can see him like (laughs) I can see the 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 image of of the train coming towards the boy on the train tracks appearing to him kind of maybe but
1: Adventurous but, music yeah, soundtrack maybe. But I, I think it
0: would be an odd fit.
1: <laughs> I mean I, I kinda of hope he does, just because it would be weird, but <laughs> I think it's much more likely that he's gonna be adapting the Hitchhiker. Um, yeah. because Royal Tenenbaums has a con man, he 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 likes these kind of slightly amoral, um but genial, like charismatic crooks, basically yeah so I I think Hitchhiker he'll do The Boy Who Talked of Animals I don't think there's much to it personally so I don't know if he'll make a great adaptation yeah Um, but we know from um, The Life Aquatic that he does like aquatic creatures oh yeah and that one obviously has the underwater creatures animated by Henry Selick
0: oh yeah you could get some Good, good turtle animation. Exactly. Yeah, it'd be yeah. nice if he
1: collaborates with Selick again for that. Mm. Um, and then I'm not sure, like, maybe the Mildenhall Hall treasure. Um, you know, I'd love to see him set something in Suffolk, although obviously with Fantastic Mr Fox, that was a very kind of American adaptation of, <laughs> of oh, yeah. Um But I'm not sure. I did wonder if one of the other stories will largely be kind of biographical and be about Roald Dahl and maybe bits of Boy mm. or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think bits from from Boy could definitely work. Um.
1: Because as as you said, he does like stories within stories, so I could imagine that he might have someone playing Roald Dahl narrating Henry Sugar, which then contains another story within it.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. So he
1: might, he might do it like that, but... Um, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it, I'm. I'm lo- I am looking forward to it, despite. Despite some of my reservations about Roald Dahl. and mm. I do feel I don't want to talk much about it because you know I don't want to sort of wade into <laughs> culture war stuff particularly. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, <laughs> I do think that this whole business with um, it is Penguin, isn't it? You put it out Dahl? I feel like ah. publishers. I mean, this one's Puffin.
0: yeah I can't remember Um, Um, I think it's Penguin
1: yeah but like releasing these kind of newly edited uh, versions which have been read by sensitivity readers partly I I suspect someone else said this to me and I I wouldn't be surprised if it was a kind of cynical ploy to attract (laughs) media attention and criticism because of the rights being sold to Netflix Oh, (laughs) I know that's really cynical (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah um but, I, but yeah, I'm generally with...
0: Catnip for mm. culture warrior swords. <laughs> and
1: to be honest, I'm I'm actually, I am with Joyce Carol Oates on this. Um, Joyce Carol Oates' tweets are a mixed bag. Um, <laughs> she's quite a <the> choice <laughs> for some really terrible tweets. including. <laughs> have, have you seen Joyce Carol, Carol Oates' stuff about skeletons? No. It's <laughs> so funny, it's amazing. Okay, so Joyce Carol Oates, for those that don't know, is a incredibly prolific American novelist. Um actually like some of her novels, uh, Them particularly, very much. I think she's a really skilled writer, but, you know, she's she's very elderly now. She's in her 80s, and she can be a bit cranky, basically, and has some... She's said some quite problematic things at times, uh, but also just some very odd things.
0: <laughs> yeah, which... I mean, I think she also came out swinging against transphobia, though, recently. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. In so her Twitter, so, you know, yeah. She, 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 she
1: doesn't... <laughs> I always say awful things like you know she she, she can be pretty great um <laughs> but she she gets really angry about people having skeletons in their windows at Halloween <laughs> seriously like this is the thing every Halloween she like posts irately angrily on Twitter about how these people don't take death seriously or respect death and um, and posts like angry pictures or photos like as she's taken in her neighbourhood of people with happy skeletons, you know, in their windows.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Shaming
1: them for it. (laughs) Okay, okay. What a
0: hell to die on. Okay, so yeah,
1: yeah. Joyce Carol has written like books based on actual like murder cases, right? You know, (laughs) she's written books that use real death for her story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, actual <laughs> tragedy quite quite a lot of times
0: okay. uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: if I'm honest so I like her writing I would say Joyce Carol Oates sometimes has a tendency to exploit death basically <laughs> um, but <laughs> um Um, apparently the real the real sick men (laughs) or sick children in this so-called society (laughs) are not those who exploit the deaths of celebrities or uh, the suffering of Marilyn Monroe it is people who put funny bone style skeletons in their windows at Halloween
0: Uh, they must be stopped
1: <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's quite funny. I, I, I would recommend looking it up because it's quite, it's quite good.
0: <laughs> Do, yeah. were you, were you, I think you were talking about her for a reason other than skeletons. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway, she, she made the point that you can't really make Roald Dahl not offensive. She basically said to be honest, Roaldol stories are quite nasty. And mm. even if you replace the language, they're still really nasty. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I totally understand why some parents wouldn't buy their kids. Roll Dahl to be honest
0: mm, mm. I
1: think there are I think there are better children's writers but yeah I also think yeah <laughs> some of it is really outdated and he's got his strengths as a writer but really if you take something um like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory you know <sighs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and can, the, you... the, the version of that we, we all read as children was already the uh, the edited version because the original one was too offensive.
1: Oh, yeah, but... so the original version was too racist.
0: The original version was too racist. Yeah. I need to remind people of this every time because I read the original version as a kid.
1: Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, this is a story in which Roald Dahl basically punishes children for their sins, one of which is, as he sees it, eating too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can say Augustus Gloop isn't fat or call him something different um but he is still definitely being punished for eating too much <laughs> yeah like, yeah
0: um
1: <laughs> and I don't know you know I, I can understand if you're like yeah I don't know if that's a very good message I can totally understand just choosing not to read that to your kids to be honest yeah um
0: yeah, yeah um but
1: he has his strengths and actually I kind of in a way like with Rolled Out, right? You, you, there are some actually nice stories. So I would like to draft Pelly and me as a kid. Yeah. Which is probably um, his gentlest story, I'd say. Yeah, that one's,
0: that one's sweet. Um, yeah. SEO Trot is um... Yeah,
1: SEO Trot's genuinely nice. Um And then there are yeah, His stories for adults and We want to mention just a couple of them Outside of this wonderful Mm. story of Henry Sugar Because we started with me just reading A little bit from The Wish Um, And Yeah, some of his adult Stories, I haven't read that many of them Um, Some of them Are just really unpleasant And like misogynist Mm. Um, But then there are some that have stayed with me from childhood Because one of them uh, Lamb to the Slaughter I studied in secondary school and I think year seven or year eight
0: yeah um,
1: and I have a memory of us watching um, like one of the TV adaptations of it mm-hmm. and there's been a couple of adaptations and um, there was uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents adaptation as well um, as Tales from the Unexpected and I think it might might have been that one we saw um,
0: yeah I, that's you linked that to me that's one I yeah watched. Um, so
1: so yeah do you want to talk about that story briefly
0: Yeah um so it's a, about a a, a doting wife whose a policeman husband comes home from work and tells her that he's going to leave her and um in response uh, she clubs him to death with a frozen leg of lamb and uh then when uh, his uh, police officer colleagues uh come round and uh to investigate this murder that she's reported uh she serves them the murder weapon for dinner as they they puzzle over the mystery it's a uh, perfect crime <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah
1: i do remember finding this quite i mean you know not that i had any intention of murdering anyone with a leg of lamb mm. as a kid um, i didn't like the taste of lamb for one thing mm. um but I do remember, you know. I think as an adult reading this, I was like, oh, I don't know if it's that good a cry, really. You know, there's <laughs> fingerprints. I was, you know, I was too cynical. But as a kid, I really bought it. I was like, wow, that yeah. is the perfect cry. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, it's, it's it's a really simple twist, but it's, quite, it's, kind, quite, it's kind
0: of great. It's kind of like... great. <laughs> And then she, she does this uh, little like deranged giggle at the end. <laughs> <laughs> she, she gets away with it.
1: Yeah, uh, that's the thing with Roald Dahl. You will let people get away with it. And, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a bit of an overreaction um, her killing him but it's sort of described like she just sort of does it without <laughs> almost thinking about it. She just sort of, the next thing she knows she's clubbed him to death. And, yeah. You know in life people do do get away with murder like who knows how often to be honest well, wouldn't yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, however many true crime podcasts you know manage to find out these murderers years <laughs> later there's always going to be more than the true crime podcasters manage to discover
0: i mean don't say that adam you'll just encourage them
1: Okay, yeah, one, yeah get, get another hobby. Come on, become a <laughs> detectorist. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um.
1: yeah. There are better ways to, to get, get famous and make money. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah, that's a neat little story. And uh, my, my mm. favourite, and one of my favourite things Roald Dahl ever wrote, mm. is the final story I think we <laughs> need to cover, which is called Royal Jelly.
0: Yeah, do you want to do Texture of the Week before we. Before okay, we do well. Jelly?
1: I don't know because my Texture of okay. the Week might be a bit of a spoiler for Roll Okay, Jay. shall we? Okay,
0: we'll just go into Royal Jelly, do Texture of the Week at the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do Texture of the Week okay. at the end for a change. Okay.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely my favourite of these stories. And, yeah, uh,
1: rightly so. I'm glad our tastes uh, converge. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: probably the, the most children's horror as well. Yeah. So, um. So, Royal Jelly is a, concerns a, a worried and exhausted mother, Mabel, whose um, six-week-old daughter is refusing to feed, and uh, the doctors and her husband Albert are just telling her not to worry, um, but she's uh, she's going kind of frantic. Um, he he's an avid beekeeper, and um, he settles down to read his latest bee magazine and to distract himself from his frets and wife, and um, against uh, to read an article on Royal Jelly. Um, and uh, this article explains the process by which the uh, royal jelly is fed to the larvae who are uh, destined to become queens, and it, it, gives, it gives the uh, analogy that um, the amount of royal jelly they're fed, it's uh, as if a seven-and-a-half-pound baby should increase to five tonnes in five days. Um, and uh, from reading this line, inspiration strikes... Uh, he, he calls for Mabel, but he, uh, she's too exhausted to respond. So he just says that he'll take care of the next feeds. And um, he begins to mix the royal jelly into the milk as he's preparing it. Um, and uh, lo and behold, once he's mixed the royal jelly into her feed, the baby takes to it right away and uh, starts to look plumper and healthier immediately. And uh, Mabel is overjoyed. That it's only the next evening she, that she remembers that Albert wanted to tell her something, and uh, after much teasing, she finally gets it out of him that she's feeding the baby royal, that he's feeding the baby royal jelly, um, and uh, she's outraged. Um, and uh, even Albert's lengthy explanation of royal jelly and how he has converted his hives to producing it does uh, little to mollify her. Um, but she does notice during his. Uh, during his explanation of his, uh, his royal jelly-making and beekeeping, that uh, her husband's starting to look a bit like a bee himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, they realise they've been talking so long that they've overrun on feeding the baby. And uh, again, Albert prepares the milk, and again the baby sucks it all down and then wails for more. And uh, they give her extra milk and she drinks it all. And Mabel says... Uh, I assume there wasn't any royal jelly in this last feed we've given her, but of course there was. Um, and when Albert goes to pick up the baby, she he's, uh, marvels at how big and round and heavy she's got. And when they go and lay her down to change her, they see that it's her, her abdomen, her body has grown grown big and round, but her, her limbs are still are still like thin, weedy. And there's a, a trail of fuzz growing across her belly. And it's, um, it's only then that Albert admits to Mabel that he's been feeding himself royal jelly for the past year. Um, <laughs> um, do you want to read the, the ending of it?
1: Yes, well, well, this is my texture of the week, so Should okay. we, we do a little jingle? Oh, right, yeah. I'll get, I'll get my rattle.
0: hmm Texture Texture
1: Texture Texture of the week Wee So in in the Tales of the Unexpected episode um, The actor uh, Playing Playing the beekeeper uh, Starts getting this awful Bristling downy fuzz on his arms poking out from under his cuffs yeah um <laughs> this is how it goes goes in the story um so albert is talking about the royal jelly the very first time i ever read that sentence mabel i jumped straight out my chair and i said to myself if it will work with a lousy rat i said there's no reason on earth why it shouldn't work with albert taylor he paused again Training his head forward and turning one ear slightly in his wife's direction, waiting for her to say something. But she didn't. And here's another thing, he went on. You made me feel so absolutely marvellous, Mabel, and so, sort of completely different to what I was before that. I went right on taking it, even after you'd announced the joyful tidings. Buckets of it I must have swallowed during the last twelve months. The big, heavy, haunted-looking eyes of the woman were moving intently over the man's face and neck. There was no skin showing at all on the neck, not even at the sides below the ears. The whole of it, to a point where it disappeared into the collar of the shirt, was covered all the way around with those shortish, silky hairs, yellowy. Black. Mind you, he said, turning away from her, gazing lovingly now at the baby. It's going to work far better on a tiny infant than on a fully developed man like me. You've only got to look at her to see that. Don't you agree? The woman's eyes travelled slowly downward and settled on the baby. The baby was lying naked on the table, fat and white and comatose like some gigantic grub that was approaching the end of its larval life and would soon emerge into the world complete with mandibles and wings. And thus Bee Baby was born!
0: Oh, I mean, the, the, you missed the last line.
1: What, what? What's the last line?
0: <laughs> Why don't you cover it up, Mabel, he said. We don't want our little queen to catch a cold. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Good stuff.
1: Yeah, that that is good. I think. Rod Dahl should have written more about bee babies. <laughs> yeah. More about the bee baby.
0: Yeah, yeah. Love a bee baby. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: So yeah, any any sort of last last thoughts?
0: Um. No, <laughs> it's, a
1: bit, it's a bit of a hodgepodge of a collection, to be honest.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, do do you think there's there's any further tales of the unexpected ones we should do at, at some point?
1: Or? Uh maybe. Although they're not really children's horror, and I feel yeah. like we've kind of covered the ones that are maybe appropriate for kids. Like some of them are a bit uh, mm. a bit skeezy in that way. <laughs> not like awful, but like yeah, I don't know, a bit lowbrow perhaps hmm Um uh, you know, there is maybe some more role dog to do. I do want to do Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator.
0: Yeah, we um, showed it. Uh, uh, especially
1: especially if there's a film adaptation. Um God. Which I, I, yeah, I hope there will be with all these Netflix adaptations. That's the uh, one I've been book is for. so upsetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really I, I, I mean what I'd love is Henry Selick to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that would that would be amazing. Um <laughs> And I would like to do the BFG at some point, particularly the old animated version.
0: Oh, that's so, oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I haven't actually seen the Steven Spielberg version.
0: No, me neither.
1: Um, but yeah, I think BFG and. I mean, I know a lot of people sort of say uh, talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like the film as children's horror, but if I'm honest. I think it's only really the boat ride. Yeah. Like the boat ride is properly funny. <laughs> but I don't actually think it really it really is to be Yeah, fair. yeah. No, no. Um, it
0: really is, yeah.
1: But I don't um, feel like the rest of the film is, personally.
0: Um like Yeah, maybe, I mean it's maybe it's just
1: ju- just because Gene Wild- Wilder It's just Gene
0: Wilder being being a being a little weird goblin, but
1: Yeah. I think it's um, mostly because of his performance. Yeah. Which is why the Tim Burton version didn't really work for me, is... Yeah. Well, because you've got Johnny Depp doing a Michael Jackson impersonation, <laughs> which is just...
0: Less appealing. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And I just don't think he thought it through. I think it's just like an idea he had. <laughs> it was like, oh, that would be a neat thing to do. And then he just went with it. Yeah. Yeah um but just because something's a neat idea doesn't mean it will actually work <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um oh, i don't know I, I get a bit sad because i i love early tim burton films so much um mm-hmm. like i've been showing i've been um getting to do a bit of uh kind of film studies with mm-hmm. um the uh, support center basically Um, Yeah, that is what the support centre um, at the school. Um, So these are kids who are struggling to access mainstream education for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been commissioned to do a bit of film studies with them to prepare Mm -hmm. them if they want to do it at GCSE. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've basically indulged myself, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done Coraline and I've also done some of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Mm -hmm. which is Tim Burton's first feature-length film. And I, I love it so much. Yeah. Like, I really, really do love early Burton films, and I don't know, it gets to about Sleepy Hollow, and I do feel Mm -hmm. the wheels come off, and then you get stuff like Alice in Wonderland and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. And I just remember seeing Charlie in the Chocolate Factory in the cinema and being so disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've come around to it a little, I have seen it since, and it's got some interesting things, but I don't know. Have you seen any of Wednesday? Because I haven't.
0: I uh, no, not yet. Um, Although Ava was potentially interested in doing it for the podcast.
1: Okay, I mean we probably should and yeah. who knows, maybe it'll rekindle my love for Burton.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: Yeah, so
0: mm. Um I have something to plug for this. Oh episode. my gosh,
1: yeah, and it's really good as well, so please, <laughs> please.
0: Yeah, it's actually relevant. Um I have a I have a, a short story in um uh, the third issue of an anthology called Archive of the Odd, which is um, uh, horror and kind of other fantasy sort of stories told in unusual formats. Um, for example, a course syllabus, or a doctor's chart, or a uh, contract. I don't know. You know, whatever things that aren't uh, prose. <laughs>
1: or, or, or for you, a series of Amazon reviews. Yes,
0: yeah. In my case, a series of Amazon reviews of, um, and uh, yeah, it's just come out and it's um, it's a very lovingly put together PDF um, by the editors with uh, where they've done all these fun layouts for each of the stories and illustrations and um, and uh, I really recommend it not just cause, not just because I'm in it. It's it's really good <laughs> and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah,
1: I've bought it and I, I've only read Wren's story so far. I'm going to read more. Um, but yeah, Wren's story was really wonderful. I genuinely really enjoyed it. So I would recommend it.
0: Yeah, thank you, Adam. All right. All right. Um, yeah, so um, thanks for listening. Um, um, <laughs> you can um, email us at um, stillscaredpodcast at gmail.com if you want to recommend things that we cover like dave did and then we did cover it eventually
1: so how, you know, how long did it but,
0: take us Right, you know, we don't we don't need to we don't need to talk exactly. about that it's fine um but, Dave the
1: place to dave still listen do you know
0: well well we he, his suggestion was um the um, the grinny and oh okay. yeah we did that we did that and he said he said he listened to it so okay. <laughs> um so yeah if you if you want to be like dave um and, uh, you can email us and suggest things um and um we're technically still on Twitter still scared pod, still scared pod um gotta be honest I don't go on it very often um yeah
1: well good for you yeah so well, I mean I, I'm not on it either so. I, I
0: post when we have a new episode um but um, I can't really handle I, I'm just on Discord, and, uh, that much Twitter so like, yeah i just on yeah. Discord
1: talking about horror games with, with the cool kids yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: um to be honest, they, they say things I'm on
0: B Real. Oh, I, 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 I love. What's even that? Oh, I love B Real. B Real's the best social media. Um... <laughs> 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 um, it's, it, it prompts you to take a photo at a okay. different time each day. And oh. it takes like two photos one with the front camera and one with the back camera. Oh. So you get like a selfie and like whatever you're doing at the oh, time. I
1: see. Yeah. Is it related to bees? It... No oh okay i thought maybe because of the royal jelly story
0: oh no sorry
1: okay (laughs) um so anyway uh joe and
0: yeah yeah so our intro music is by maki yamazaki uh outro music is by joe kelly our artworks by letty wilson i'll put all their details in the show notes and um do you have a sign off for us adam yeah
1: um Be like Dave and eat royal jelly, creepy kids.
0: (laughs) Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.